steel is really uh, the backbone of New Zealand's infrastructure. And we haven't really, um, again, gotten that message out because, again, the steel is hidden. So it's not really appreciated what a fundamental um, contribution steel is making to New Zealand's social fabric and that's really played out with its infrastructure. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. Today we have our CEO, Troy Coyle, in studio, who also chairs the Sustainable Steel Council. Why? Because we are increasingly seeing steel sustainability credentials come under scrutiny. We're seeing this in New Zealand government's tendering process and changes proposed to the building code as indicated in MBIE's Building for Climate Change program. That's why the Sustainable Steel Council has developed a fact sheet outlining six reasons why steel is a choice for the future, with the hopes that this resource will help provide a unified voice from the steel industry through consistent messages that challenge entrenched views about steel and lead to changes in perception. Okay, Troy, so recently the Sustainable Steel Council released a key message document to assist with talking to everyone, key stakeholders, the world, whatever, about what the steel industry is doing and the six reasons why to choose steel. How did that particular project come about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, we prepared the document at six reasons to choose steel and six reasons why steel contributes to intergenerational well-being and we decided to do it because we saw a massive opportunity for the whole of the industry because remembering in Sustainable Steel Council we've got Nash, we've got SCNZ, we've got Hero, we've got some of the key manufacturers and parts of the channel, we've got MRM, so all of the steel products um, and NZSSDA. uh, So what we wanted to be able to do is across all of us start using the same language to, to give the message of steel's sustainability credentials. So we have even gone down to the level of proposing hashtags for social media and comms. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, as a marketing person myself, I find this particular project really exciting because it's kind of like a practical tool that industry can uptake and use on the daily, whether it be in their own communications or even just com- communicating with whoever they're working with. So it's, it's a really exciting project. And what do you see its particular value being for industry as we start pushing these ideas out? Yep. It's, it's, as I say, it's really around having that cohesive voice. Um, so unlike timber and concrete, who've really got one industry association each, um, we have got so many I've just mentioned some of them but we've also for example got now New Zealand Association of Metal Recycling as a member of Sustainable Steel Council so how fantastic would it be if like steel and concrete we had a cohesive voice and we use that consistently across all of us um, to expand our reach and also to get our messages out Um, one of the things that was really enlightening for me when Hira did its um customer research 
of just general members of the public uh, realising that more people in, the gen- in general society within Aotearoa actually thought that timber was more recyclable than steel. And that's just a massive eye-opener around the messaging that we're not getting out there because obviously that's entirely untrue and yet that's the perception that people have. Yes, I kind of have to agree with you in that regard because I think the steel industry in general, I'm not saying everyone, but we have been rather quiet on some subjects. I think perhaps because we didn't know exactly what to say. And so this probably is a great way to just give the confidence to actually share this data in a way that we can start changing those perceptions. So I I totally get that. So in terms of the Key Message project, what was the process that you went through to come up with these ideas to distill down and share with industry? Mm -hmm. Here I had actually gone through this process maybe two years ago or more and uh, we used a consultant and we found it a really valuable process. And so... um, I knew that that would be a process that would really be suitable for a sustainable steel council as well. So we used the same consultant, which was Anna Redford, uh, and we used her to help us to identify what it is that we think are the key uh, valuable attributes of steel. Uh, And in the end, we actually came down to kind of dis disseminating that information in two different ways because um, there's six reasons to choose steel as a product as to why you would want to use steel as a building and construction product. Uh, But also there is also the reasons more generally to New Zealand society as to why steel is a valuable product or material for um, the overall benefit for New Zealand. Yes, I think that's a great approach to have when you're looking at these key messages because they, they actually become quite distinctly different points of difference, although there probably are some similarities throughout there as well. Yep. So if we drill down on that or focus really on the first section that you mentioned, which is the six reasons why steel as a product, uh, you ended up coming up with a, a few key statements there around steel being resilient low carbon, sustainable, cost competitive, low risk and enduringly beautiful. I was just wondering if we could perhaps drill down a little bit more on the steel resilience and what that was about, why that came about as a key point and I guess what's happening in that space to reinforce that messaging. Mm -hmm. Um, So actually Anna had said to us that oftentimes in her experience it comes down to six reasons and it just so happened for each of those high-level categories we each came up with six. So (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, we proved her reasoning to be true. Uh, So the first one was that um, steel is extremely resilient and durable and obviously we're all aware of steel's performance in terms of seismic uh, and that is a key uh, benefit of using steel but also it's superior strength under compression and tension um, and also it's got a known predictable and strong fire performance and so there has been a lot of contention uh, recently with international events around the fire performance of various materials and I think that 
that is a weakness in New Zealand is that there isn't a lot of research and in fact Australia um, around some of the materials that have been used and are continuing to be used. Uh, so we see that as a strong advantage for us as well. And also the fact that there's a wide range of corrosion resistance levels. So it's also durable in terms of corrosion performance because you can choose a product that's suitable. Yes, there's so many attributes to steel that you wouldn't really think about. I think if, if you think of the word resilient, there's so much underlying it. Now, I know that there is a lot of research going on at HERA around some of those aspects to help support that. Um, more recently, looking at the fire performance as well, what's, um, what also is on the horizon? Do you see anything else that we'll be doing in terms of steel resilience or those are the main focuses? Um, we're very much focused on sustainability more generally. So we have this year established our um, initial sustainability focus for our um, structural steel, structural systems teams. And uh, so we have gone out to members and called for projects, project ideas around how could we improve the sustainability credentials of steel, particularly with a focus on um, carbon performance. And we have got some uh, good ideas and they do relate to resilience because obviously if you can increase the lifetime of the product that um, by its very nature improves the carbon performance of the product. So, for example, if we extend the life of a structure from 50 or 100 years to 100 or 200 years, um, that is that crossover between resilience and durability as well as carbon performance. Yes, it's probably a good segue into the low carbon conversation. I know that is one of the key statements that we are that the Sustainable Steel Council is now making sure that we make clear to the public. What What is the sustainability focus about? How has that sort of come about as a key focus for HERA to delve into and the Sustainable Steel Council itself? So what we wanted to uh, say is that a lot of the conversation that's happening currently is around embodied carbon. But if you're looking at net carbon reductions, you have to look at the lifetime emissions that are associated with a building or a product. And so what we're saying is that uh, steel is surprisingly low carbon over its lives and deliberately using the term lives because uh steel is in theory infinitely recyclable and in fact we've just commissioned a report um, through ThinkStep which shows that 83% of steel in New Zealand is recycled uh, wow. so it's possibly um, I would contend the hot, hot, most highly recycled building material in New Zealand um, and so yes it's really around looking at the lifetime performance of a product. So what happens from cradle to cradle to cradle? Um, and that could be infinitely long, cradle, 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 and so on. Um, and also making sure that um, we're changing the conversation because embodied carbon only looks at a narrow point in time, whereas life cycle analysis gives a true indication of overall carbon performance. And that's where steel has a great story to tell. And in terms of also um, repair, reuse, repurposing and recycling, um, having multiple lives improves the carbon performance as a result as well. And ha uh, 
also because we can do work, for example, what I just spoke about in terms of increasing lifespan, that also reduces maintenance um, requirements as well. So we're suddenly starting to change the conversation from just looking at resilience to now looking at carbon and then also bringing that back to looking at reduced costs. So in terms of sustainability, there are multiple attributes to steel that give it a very strong value pr proposition in terms of sustainability. Yes, well, I personally actually find the journey really exciting. Sustainability is actually one of my heart causes. I, I'm always concerned about what we can do to make the world a better place. So for me, this has really connected me more to the steel industry because I don't think I was so aware of all of these aspects that could lead to a better world because those credentials probably aren't shared so prolifically as, as we've mentioned with other industries they do a good job of doing. I know that industry sometimes feels a little uncomfortable about making statements like, you know, we're highly recyclable and, and putting percentages to that. Is that why you've commissioned this report? Is it to give the confidence to be able to say these things more clearly? Or is it just part of the process of supporting what we're saying as we go out to public? Mm. Before I answer that, Kim, I'll go back to your um, previous statement. And we're finding that precisely what you were saying in terms of attractiveness is um, what, uh, for example, our younger people are telling us. So for, um, I think it was not this year, but the previous year's Rotary Science forum uh, school visitors uh, were saying or really questioning us around what steel sustainability credentials are. And I think if we don't start um, telling our story on where we're at and where we want to be and how we're going to get there, uh, we are going to lose a generation of people who really have that as top of the mind, their mind in terms of choosing a future career and potentially in the future also choosing steel as a material option um, so we do need to really change um, that approach and I do remember when I um, first became chief executive of HERA I had in our public statements um, you know when I was saying what I'm planning to do and so on <laughs> sustainability was one of them and I got some really harsh uh, feedback around um, having cognitive dissonance for example in relation to steel and sustainability and I just think um, there's actually a lot that we can start talking about that is very positive about steel and it's not greenwashing, it's genuine. And pro probably then going to your second question, that is where we uh, really have probably um, had a disadvantage in terms of media coverage in relation to other materials because we're probably as a set of organisations very conservative in what information we share we make sure that we are not going out um, and sharing information unless we're absolutely sure and we've got the stats and the data to back it up. And sometimes we are having to respond to comments made in public that don't have that level of evidence behind them. Um, and so that does disadvantage us. Uh, but ultimately it does mean that now that we have actually coalesced the reasons why steel has got a um, strong sustainability message, 
we can actually start to use the evidence that we have at hand to support that and communicate it. Yes, I mean, I think that this will just be a really great practical solution for industry just to go out there and be able to say these things and know actually that the rest of the industry is backing that conversation as well and saying exactly the same thing. As you say, it's that consistency of messaging, which is really integral to making sure that it comes across as genuine as it is. Uh, I think another aspect of steel as a product is that there is a perception out there that it is quite an expensive building material option. And I know, well, even from a personal experience, I've got steel in my actual home that I built and live in. And it was, it was one of the most expensive parts of the building. So I noticed that one of the statements that you've come up with is that is actually it is a cost competitive option. How how are you supporting that statement or what's that about? That is really a comment around um, still being able to support decision making around design. And so if you're looking, it's really tough and this is where probably um, we don't feel like any material should be having a conversation around whether it's holus bolus, more affordable or more um, carbon effective than any other material because it really comes down to design. And what we're saying is that oftentimes the upfront costs of using steel are pretty close to using other materials. But what steel offers is that ability to um, be more innovative in terms of your design um, because of that structural component. Um, so I'm just talking structural steel here, but um, it would be equally applicable for other steel materials, for example, roofing and cladding. You can actually um, start to incorporate other design elements that may allow you to, as a whole building, um, ensure that it's delivering other performance requirements. Um, so, for example, if you have a cantilever um, or you um, want to ensure that the framework is more open to being um, remodeled or um, revised in the future for different um, options in terms of layout and so on, then steel has an advantage there but also because it usually has low maintenance costs. Um, so you may also find that you're getting some savings there. Um, but also, again, this is where all of those aspects of sustainability cross over. There was a study done by brands uh, that showed, didn't uh, an impact assessment using lifetime energy use as an environmental indicator of a health building or various health building designs using different materials. And what it actually found was um, that this use of steel um, actually showed a better carbon performance because of the lower operational use of carbon. And so that's why I, I guess in public we don't tend to engage in these discussions which sometimes do happen that you know, this or that material has the better sustainability performance in terms of carbon because it actually depends on the design and there's a lot of complex synergies there around material use. 
So we actually need to have conversations around, well, if you use that material, what is that changing in terms of your design and other material choices that you make? What does it look like, not just at embodied carbon at the point in time that you build, but actually over the lifetime of that building and how it's used? So that's what we're saying is that you really need to have a look at your design and um, the materials that allow that design to be uh, used or afforded. So that, in a nutshell, means that um, still if you look at the various aspects in terms of upfront costs, um, operational costs and design innovation has a very affordable component to it. Well, I think I have to agree on that because going back to my own little experience with steel structures in, in my home, I think initially it was the initial upfront costs that really got us. We were like, wow. But actually when we calculated it out because we wanted to do some, we wanted to future-proof the home and that's where it came into its fore because it meant that we weren't going to be having to completely restructure it we could build from those modules and in the end it would become more cost effective over time so I think it's also changing that mindset as well not to just look at what's what's it costing you now but over the life of your building or project as well how how that's going to calculate out and work better for you so I can kind of see it from from that perspective how that would would come about and be something that you could say quite clearly. So I guess another area I was keen to touch on is that one of the things that industry is wanting to portray is that steel is a low-risk option. Could you tell me a little bit more about that, Troy? Yeah, I think that um, the thing it, it comes to some of the statements I was making earlier, for example, around fire performance or seismic. Um, so we do know that when you are specifying and using steel, you're getting something that you know the performance of. So it's consistently manufactured, for example, and you're going to know what the performance attributes are. It's been tried and tested in New Zealand. It's a material that we know has got strong performance in seismic. Um, and, for example, here has got the reports to demonstrate that um, for, for even the most recent large earthquake, the Kaikoura one. Um, so... It's a known, known product. You, people will be able to have trust that their steel is going to perform well for the conditions in New Zealand. And I think one of the key messages that I got most excited about was the one around the beauty of steel. Now, this isn't one I was expecting to see on a list of Six reasons why steel. How did that one come about? Well, I think, well, it all comes down to perception. And often um, what happens is people don't really see the steel. Uh, and it really came from a conversation that we had actually with Cyril Baker, who was one of the founders of Hera, who came in and he brought some um, photo albums of steel projects that he'd worked on and what we were able to see is parts of Auckland um, pre-development where you could actually see the steel skeleton behind some of its iconic buildings. And when you see the steel 
structures in place, they very much look vertebraic um, and beautiful. They really look beautiful, but again, they're hidden away. So the only time that you really get to see that is when um, a building is in the early construction phases. And yes, it was quite um, it was quite extraordinary to be able to see those images. And uh, as you know, we then had um, through our Instagram page, which you manage, um, a focus on steel is beautiful. We wanted to be able to portray this hidden beauty of steel. And that, that is the hidden aspect. But also, of course, there are beautiful aspects um, and there's some iconic buildings and art pieces and bridges in New Zealand that have used weathering steel, for example, or stainless steel. Um, and yes, though, even um, a lot of the uh, focus, for example, in New Zealand Grand Designs has been on this aesthetic of weathered steel, um, that it provides a really beautiful um, and changing um, aesthetic that uh, as it starts to weather brings that really beautiful um, ochre colour out. Um, and of course, stainless steel has the completely opposite aesthetic where it's that beautiful, shining, brand new look. So there's such a range of aesthetics um, with roofing and cladding, for example, all of the beautiful colours that can be offered to enable a, a building to either blend in or pop within its environment. So there, there is really a lot that can be done aesthetically with steel. Um, but what we really wanted to portray was this hidden beauty of steel. Yes, I think that you're right. You know, as you say, steel is inevitably covered up by its cladding and you don't get to see what's underneath or its bones. So that's one part of the Instagram account that we have that I actually enjoy because it's it's those in-construction moments that you really get to understand all the work and the strength and everything about steel infrastructure that you really just don't get to really understand unless you're seeing it at those stages but what I think is exciting is as you say architecture is now starting to celebrate raw materials and you know we've got this industrial movement where that's becoming you know for example, if you go down to the viaduct area, you, you see that there's very quite industrial-looking buildings. So we're starting to see more exposed steel in buildings, which is kind of an exciting thing. And I, and I can start to see how now the beauty of steel is really starting to come to the fore. So it's a very exciting aspect. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of a shame because we celebrate stainless steel and weathered steel and galvanized steel in so many different ways through iconic artworks and we kind of lose that connection between the beauty of metals in art and the beauty of metals in architecture. I agree. So when we're looking at the key messages you mentioned earlier that it wasn't just about steel as a product but also intergenerational well-being and now Intergenerational wellbeing is about weaving the living standards framework into public policy. Uh, so I can see how there's an importance to really start understanding how steel fits into that framework 
uh, especially with our current government and their focus on, on the LSF or the Living Standards Framework. How does the steel industry messaging align to the natural capital side of things? Yes, so um, obviously the metals industry was the first industry to assess itself against the Living Standards Framework and HERA is in the process and we're just about to launch an update um, just focused on steel. So we really have taken the Living Standards Framework and its four capitals and run with it. Um, And so the Living Standards Framework is a fundamental aspect of the Sustainable Steel Council. So the actual um, auditing process, for example, is auditing against the Living Standards Framework, so ensuring that we're looking at all of the four capitals, which are financial, physical, human, natural and social capitals. And the Aotearoa Steel Transformation Agenda uh, is also using the four capitals as a way to um, guide the industry's transformation. And so it makes sense that also our um, six reasons and um, the six reasons why steel contributes to intergenerational well-being in particular is, is really focused on the four capitals. So, yes, it's an absolutely integral part. And so you mentioned the the different aspects of the, the living standards framework. I know obviously there's an understanding that steel performs pretty well in some of those and then there are others where we probably haven't been so clear on how we fit into those spaces or what we're doing to fit into them. So I guess starting with the physical capital, where is the messaging coming or being captured in terms of aligning to the physical capital? Um, so I think probably the statements around the industry has made significant investment in value-added vertically integrated products and technologies um, and that the steel industry's products comprise a core part of New Zealand's physical infrastructure. So there wouldn't be very many pieces of infrastructure that I can I can't actually think of any um, which don't incorporate a steel product. So our bridges, our roads, our buildings are all incorporating to a significant extent um, steel and particularly in our seismic prone areas, uh, steel is really uh, the backbone of New Zealand's infrastructure. And we haven't really, um, again, gotten that message out because again the steel is hidden so it's not really appreciated what a fundamental um, contribution steel is making to New Zealand's social fabric and that's really played out with its infrastructure. Yes I I know that we haven't been really good at saying that I think I was quite impressed no impressed wouldn't be the word I, I was astounded (laughs) probably is more likely when I saw the reports coming through such as the Kaikoura earthquake I hadn't really thought about you know a wood structure versus a steel structure or a concrete structure and really having a, a natural disaster like that really started to showcase or steel came to its fore, I guess, in that sense because when you start seeing the data come through from that research you you start to understand oh, well, if we have physical structures in areas that are prone to earthquakes and seismic areas, that 
there is a potential that there's going to be a better resilience happening there if in steel. So that was an eye-opener for me. I hadn't really thought of it from that angle before, I guess, so... I can I can definitely understand that. Yeah, and, we need to really change the dynamic yeah. around having a fourth little piggy who builds his house. Yes, steel. <laughs> yeah, we've missed an opportunity there. We need to revamp it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, in terms of human capital, Troy, I know that the manufacturing and fabrication industries of New Zealand obviously contribute a lot to creating employment for New Zealanders. Is that what the concentration is in terms of human capital when you're talking about um, the key messaging there? Yep. So actually um, Steel Construction New Zealand commissioned a report recently that showed um, combined there are 28,290 approximately FTEs that can be linked to New Zealand steel industry um, beyond those directly employed within the industry. Um, and so for every three FTEs employed in New Zealand steel industry, a further eight FTEs are employed throughout the rest of the New Zealand economy. So um, in terms of its contribution, it has a significant role to play and it's growing. Um, so, uh, and also it's growing regionally. So it's it's an industry that plays a strong um strong role in employment in New Zealand including regional employment and it's not going away so that is growing and um, the industry itself is also investing significantly in the development of its workforce. In fact um, there's a really high proportion of investment in terms of vocational education for example within our industry. So we're making a significant contribution um, yeah to our to our social contribution. Yeah, and when you hear those statistics, I think it makes it pretty clear that it's it's important for New Zealanders really to keep these manufacturing aspects going because it's a massive part in terms of employment. I know that uh, Metals New Zealand, they recently released an article around or just commenting, I guess, on the closure of the mill Um I think, yes, I think that probably having key messaging like this is is helping to solidify the idea that actually we really need to protect manufacturing organisations and businesses because it is so integral to New Zealand society and, and from that sort of area, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we talk a lot um, at here around building and construction, but of course our other um, membership uh, is really manufacturing industry. And the I, I gave a presentation, I think it was about three years ago. Um, it was one of the keynotes at the MAID conference. And um, that was really around New Zealand isn't giving enough love to the manufacturing industry. And I see that that still has not improved and at that time I'd benchmarked us against Australia but of course Australia now the opposition um, government which is a Labor Party in Australia has announced that they are planning a um, billions of dollars investment in uh, rebirthing the manufacturing industry in Australia because they recognize how important it is 
um, in a post-COVID-19 world. And I don't think New Zealand's really got its head around that. We saw so much disruption in terms of global supply chains uh, Mm. and we know, you know, even if we get COVID-19 under control globally, we're still going to have that risk. Um, Our reality is very different now than what it was 18 months ago and, and government policy really needs to respond to that Uh, So, yes, in terms of manufacturing, uh, steel industry has a significant contribution to make. In fact, there are more people employed in metals manufacturing than there are in wood wood processing. So, um, yeah, that's kind Mm. of one of those things, again, where we haven't really told that story as well as we should have. I think that's where statements like that are really going to help to start getting people to understand that a bit more from us actively talking about it. So it's, it's for me, a quite an exciting aspect to start highlighting. And in terms of social capital, how, how does that fit into the intergenerational wellbeing key messaging? Yeah, so it, um, our industry is an industry that's very much engaged in its um, communities. And so we are... Um, doing a lot of philanthropic work. Uh, For example, New Zealand Steel has a lot of programs with its um, communities and many of our fabricators as well. And because we have so many regional companies in our industry, a lot of that is also happening in the region. So around, you know, um, preparing local high school students to enter into the industry um, environmental projects within regional communities and so on. Um, yeah, so I, I think that uh, it, it has it is probably one of the aspects of um, the four capitals that's quite hard to quantify. Mm. Um, and really it's a, it's a very different way of thinking of things by using case studies instead of data. And we're very comfortable using data. You can, you, you can hear me. I can rattle off <laughs> <laughs> loads of statistics. But, um, you know, when it comes to articulating the social contributions, it's around case studies. And we have those case studies, um, but we need to change the way that we communicate how we respond because it's not – often going to be through statistics. It will be through examples and case studies. I think as well, Toy, one thing I have found is that our industry is is almost shy of sharing these case studies because for them, they're doing it because they should, you know, not because they want to earn brownie points or, you know, make a good story. So for them, it's just part of the everyday work and what they do. And often I've found, you, you know, I'll be having a conversation with any members. I've had quite a few of them where I said, oh, my gosh, that work you're doing for the students is just phenomenal. You should share that or, you know, helping with the communities or give back or all these different sorts of programs that they're starting to do. But they're like, oh, no, well, that's just something we're doing because we're really passionate about helping. That's not, you know, that's not something that, we share Mm. Uh, and I I think we should share those because that's what makes our industry great is all the things we do in the background and and it's not about necessarily showing off or using it uh, to make a stronger case for steel it's it's about 
just letting people know that we are doing these these works for the social aspects of the of New Zealanders. Yeah. And one of the um, one of the kind of uh, difficult as aspects of the living standards framework is uh, social capital and and what do you use to demonstrate contributions to social capital and one of the uh, criteria under that capital bucket is around trust. Um, so it was really developed to look at, um, for example, what trust did the community have in its organisations such as police, ambulance, education and so on, which are you know, they, those things are probably measurables because there would be data being collected around that. For us, it was really hard for us to look at how we measured, how are we contributing to um, social trust. And so what we see as our main contribution is really around our standards development and um, looking at the quality of um the industry's performance in terms of the products and, and its use by a society. So mm-hmm. we do, as an industry, um, get involved a lot in terms of standards development to make sure there is some consistency and transparency and accountability around performance of steel. Um, and, of course, um, Steel Construction New Zealand's um, SFC program, Steel Fabrication Certification Program, um, is really another example of how we've got a third-party accreditation process which is really looking at how to set a benchmark and hold those who have been certified against that benchmark to create trust in steel fabrication. So, yes, um, our social contribution is is manifold in terms of um, how we're leading to trust in our, our product's performance. Mm. It's a good tangible approach, I think. It's it's definitely something as well that industry really buys into and, and really understands as an important part of their business. So that's also very exciting. And we've obviously touched quite a lot on natural capital in terms of the sustainability messaging. So I can see that it's actually you know, it actually fits quite neatly into the living standards framework. And as you say, there is work to do in order to make some parts such as social capital a little bit more clearer. But I can see that the first step is there and we're starting to really align to that. It's quite an exciting thing to see. And so I guess coming back to the key messages, and they've been out now to the industry for a good couple of weeks, how has that gone? What has been the comments coming back from industry around this key messaging project? Yeah, that's that's hard to tell. Kim, I should probably throw that question back <laughs> to you. I mean, in terms of engagement with what we've shared, there seems to be strong uptake. I have had a couple of positive comments, but I haven't really had a lot of commentary, have you? I personally haven't. I know that we had a sort of training session that was run by the Sustainable Steel Council. I have to say I was a little disappointed that there wasn't actually a bigger turnout. I feel like the sustainability conversation is really ramping up in industry and I really thought that this would have been a great opportunity for 
industry to come in and sort of get some good understanding of, of what the Sustainable Steel Council is doing and all the organisations that have signed up to be part of the Sustainable Steel Council initiatives. Um, and so there were some real leaders in that room, which was great to see, and there were some very good, robust conversation. It was certainly an eye-opener, I think, for myself just to see where industry mindset was in terms of sustainability, and I have to say it was positive, as you say, uh, but I had hoped that there would have been more people there to start to understand that a bit more myself. Mm, I think it's symptomatic of the the fact really that um, our industry as a whole doesn't typically have that kind of comms focus. It's not proactively going out and talking about the benefits of our product. It's doing that as part of, you know, might, might be a response to a tender or a bid process but we're not actually doing it proactively more generally mm. um, and so that's a kind of a capability that we do have to build within the industry um, yeah I think that for me the measure would of success would be that um, when Sustainable Steel Council um, has a com everyone is sharing that com and using the same hashtags and that you know hashtag um trust in steel or hashtag third-party verification, which we've got as example hashtags will start to become more commonly used across our industry um, and that we actually are sharing more stories of, of, you know, using that idea that um, under the Living Standards Framework it's really a lot around case studies and um, examples. So we've that's really how we need to start thinking is we've got to start sharing case studies and examples. Yeah, I think you're right. I I recognise that we haven't, as an industry, really been good at sharing our stories. It's sort of been an underlying understanding for quite some time, I think, for HERA specifically. It's why we've tried to do initiatives like our Putatara Media Room to act as a mechanism to support industry to improve their communications. And... Even with that, I can see it's it's quite a slow road to getting people to engage in that because I think industry is so busy all the time dealing with day-to-day that they often don't put much time into the communications or marketing aspects of their business. And I absolutely would like to see that turn around so that we can start sharing these messages more strongly out there because I think until we get that unified voice we are going to be, you know, portrayed not as favourably as other materials such as timber or concrete. Mm. Or it might be that a lot of the comms are focused post the decision to choose steel and so it's really more that our members are having conversations around the projects that they've done once a decision has been made to use steel or um, why choose them to be your fabricator or designer. Um, whereas if we have the conversation earlier around, well, why choose steel or why is steel important to New Zealand's social fabric, um, that's quite a different change in approach on mm. where, we, where we're having the conversations. Yeah, definitely, you know, getting an earlier rather than after the fact, sort of proactive approach. Very, very exciting. 
So I can see that from here, it's really about proliferation. A key learning from this key message project has been that our steel industry has work to do in proactively leading conversations and communicating our credentials more openly and consistently. We've discovered this is often a result of little to no communications capability in-house or a lack of resources to focus on this aspect of the business. In response, Hira has developed Putatara, an in-house digital media room and resource support centre for our members, with the hopes to build this capability up. If you're interested in stepping up your communication strategy and leveraging Putatara, then get in touch with our innovation and transformation architect, Greg Buckley, to see how we can assist. His details are in the show notes.